0: Today's scripture reading will be from Matthew 5, 43 through 48. Matthew 5, verse 43. You have heard that it was said, You shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, so that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven. As your heavenly Father is perfect. This is the reading of God's Word.
1: Let us turn one more time to Philippians chapter 1, and I want to read verses 3 through 11. Philippians 1 3 through 11. The apostle writes, I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always offering prayer with joy in my every prayer for you all. In view of your participation in the gospel from the first day until now, for I am confident of this very thing that he who began a good work in you will perfect it until the day of Christ Jesus. For it is only right for me to feel this way about you all because I have you in my heart. Since both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel, you all are partakers of grace with me. For God is my witness, how I long for you all with the affection of Christ Jesus. And this I pray that your love may abound still more and more in real knowledge and all discernment. So that you may approve the things that are excellent in order to be sincere and blameless until the day of Christ having been filled with the fruit of righteousness, which comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and the praise of God. Well, this is the word of the Lord. Praise be to God. Well, let me um, try to uh, oil the, you know, here. Um, yeah, it always seems to happen right when you start the service, right? You know, we're looking at Paul's letter to the Philippians. And this letter is about we are a family, diverse yet truly one. Um, And Paul in this letter, he is in his prayer closet, if you will, and he's letting us see what he's doing. And the first thing he does is he doesn't immediately go into a a prayer request. He doesn't get out his list of prayer requests. The first thing he does is he begins to praise God and praise God. Uh, God, for what he remembers about these Philippians. He remembers that they are remembering him. He remembers and praises God for the fact that they sent their minister to him, that they send gifts to him. And then he remembers and praises God that they are participants in the gospel with him. They also they send people to him. He also sends people to them. He sends Timothy to them. And so they participate in this thing together. And then in verse 6, that verse that probably all of you should have memorized as a younger person, you know, where he says that he who began a good thing in you will keep, keep going, will continue until the day of Christ Jesus. He praises God that God has worked in them and he's going to keep on working in them. Then in verses 7 and 9, he begins to speak of his love for the Philippians, and he moves to, pray, to petitions. He loves this church. Now, I'm not saying he doesn't love other churches that he's written to, but he really loves this church. He has distinct love for them, a deep affection. And so he launches in to petitions for the Philippians. And the two points that I want us to look at are these. These two petitions. Number one, the petition for growing love. And then there's the petition for complete Christian character. Two petitions. The first one is petition for growing love. Look at verse 9. And this I pray that your love may abound still more and more. So there's there's a five-part definition here that I'm going to lay in front of you. First, growing love, it is a love that is present. He says, your love. It's present. It's already there. You can't fan into flame something that's not already there. You got to have a spark. You know those guys that do all these. You know, watch these shows where these guys are always going out on these, you know, death-defying trips, and they have to learn how to get a spark going where they can have a fire, where they can make some food, and they're going to go catch their food over here with a worm from something they've made and get, you know, get a fish or whatever. There has to be a spark. And he says, your love, it's already there. They already have love. He says that your love may abound still more and more. So, number one, growing love, it's love that's already present. Second, growing love is the outcome. It's the result of the gospel that's received already. These folks have heard the preaching of the word. In Philippi, when the apostle first preached the gospel, remember how with the outcome, they heard the gospel. We have Lydia, the seller of purple fabric, she receives the word down by a river. Her friends are down there. She receives the word. God opens up her heart. And what's the next thing she does? Well, after she and her family are baptized, she invites them into her house for fellowship, for hospitality. The same thing's true about the Philippian jailer. Now, think about it. Paul and Silas have been beaten badly. He has helped them into their cells. He has helped them into their shackles. He has closed the door. And then there's an earthquake and he's afraid that he's going to be put to death because now everybody's going to escape. And so they tell him not to do that. Remember, he runs in. What shall I do to be saved? He believes on the Lord Jesus Christ. You know what he does next? He takes them out of the shackles. He takes them to his house. And he begins to wash their wounds Love, you receive the gospel, there's love, I'm inviting you into my house. I'm going to give you some hospitality, I'm inviting you into my house. I'm going to take care of your wounds. Well, later on, we don't have time to turn there, but later on in Philippi, there was great hostility of the people against Saul. I mean, Saul, I'm talking about Saul too much in Acts chapter 9, right? Paul, Apostle Paul and Silas, they run into a great deal of hostility, and so they're driven out of Philippi. Well, these people didn't stop helping. They kept sending things to him. They kept helping him. And just to use the Apostle Paul's words in Galatians 5, Paul says faith works through love. And the Philippians' faith, their faith in Jesus Christ, is working through love. So those are the first two pieces or parts of this definition. It's present love. It's the outcome of the gospel heard and received. And it's also defined by the gospel. This love that he's praying for. The Philippians receive the love of God in the person of Jesus Christ. And the gospel is what? It's about a person named Jesus who's sent by a father, a father who gives a son, a son who comes and gives himself for you in sacrifice for your sins. And so these people, they love God through Jesus Christ, and they love that minister that brought the gospel to them. And so these guys are Loving the Apostle Paul much, and they show that because they've been forgiven so much. Like the lady in Luke chapter 7, Jesus said the reason she loves me so much more than you, to the Pharisee, is because she's been understanding of the forgiveness of her sins. It's defined by the gospel. The gospel is sacrificial love. It's love that tends to wounds. It's love that gives hospitality. It's love that feeds sheep. Well, number four, growing love that he's praying for, it's comprehensive love. Notice what it says there. It says, your love. It's interesting. You know, you, you learn when, you're, when you, you study the word, you learn. One of the things that you learn is this love doesn't have an object behind it. Doesn't say your love to God. It doesn't say your love to the fe- your fellow men. It just says your love that it will grow still more and more. Your love. Well, what what love? Love. Well, what's love? Well, it's comprehensive love. It's love that doesn't leave anything out. It's love that doesn't have any boundaries. It's just love. Love God. Love your neighbor. Love everybody. You with me? Oh, this is hard stuff now. Everybody. So there's this guy who comes up to Jesus and says. Who's my neighbor? You know, in other words, the lawyer's going, okay. Now look, there's all these people around me. Which one of them do I love, and which one of them do I have the permission not to love? <laughs> That's the question he's asking. Uh, okay, you, you know, okay, I'm going to pin you down. Uh, just who is my neighbor, Jesus? So Jesus tells us a parable. We all know this parable, don't we? We all know this parable. Got the Good Samaritan parable. And so the man, he comes from Jerusalem to Jericho. Remember last Sunday afternoon we talked about the fact that if you go through the wilderness, it's not a safe place, right? Wilderness is not a safe place because there might be a brigand, there might be a robber. And so this guy runs into robbers. They beat him down, they take his clothes, they take his money, and he's left for dead. Jesus points out that the Levite, I'm going to say it this way, I want you to remember this. The Levite saw the man and walked by on the other side. The priest saw the man, and he walked by on the other side. And then Jesus says, then a Samaritan comes along, and he saw the man. And then there's something else. He felt compassion for the man. The other two didn't. Then, the, then, then he says this. He went over to the man, and we can talk about everything he did, the wine, the oil, the bandages, the raising up, the putting on the donkey, the taking to the, to the inn, and all the rest. Jesus turns around and says, not who is the neighbor, but which one was the neighbor? Which one? And he, what does he say? The one who gave compassion. It's not who do you get to be the neighbor to. It's which one was the neighbor? The man's pinned down. You see, everybody is your neighbor. No restrictions, no boundaries. Kiddos, listen to me. Y'all know what water pistols are? Y'all know what water pistol? When I was a kid, you know, we, find, we we started running so much water. When I was a kid, y'all's age, I, my mom and dad, I started having to use rubber band guns because we were just keep on filling up those water pistols and we were probably running up a water bill that mom and dad didn't want us to pay. We were filling those water pistols up and what you do with a water pistol is you spray them on one person. That's, that's, and so that's, that's, that's not the kind of love that we're supposed to have. We're not supposed to have love that just sprays it on one person that we like to talk to. What we have to do is have love like a Coke can that's been shaken violently up, hit on the ground and pop the lid and it gets, it gets all over the place. Watch out. I'm all shaken up today. And then pop the top, and who knows, my, some of my love might get on you. Okay? Some of my love, it might get on you, like a Coke. You know, a slick, you know, Coke. Yeah. You know, rub it on your table and get a little sticky. It's not so good, but this is what we're talking about. It gets on people. It, it doesn't have restrictions. And so you are to love God, love your neighbors. This, every one of these things is a verse. I just won't give it to you. Love God, love your neighbor, love your husband, love your wife, love your children. Mom and Dad, you have to love your children. Did you know you have to love your children? Nobody needs to tell you that, but I'm going to tell you sometimes it's hard. And kiddos, you know, you're supposed to love your parents. <laughs> and then the Bible says, as uh, Mr. Moore read, we're supposed to even love our who? Our enemies. I've sat with husbands. And in sorrow, sir, you have to love your wife. I will not. What? I will not. But the Bible says, love your wife and lay your life down and love your wife. I will not. I said, okay, sir. If you can't love your, your wife as your wife, like the Bible says, then I want you to love her as your neighbor. I will not. The Bible says you have to love her as a neighbor. I will not. I said, well, if you can't love her as a wife, can't love her as a neighbor, then you have to love her as your enemy. I will not not love her as a wife. I will not love her as a neighbor. I will not love her as an enemy. I said, well, then you have to at least ask yourself a question. Are you a Christian at all? Because this person was totally determined that he was a Christian. I said, well, the Bible says if you can't love the person you can see. Go read 1 John. You with me? You can't love, if you can't love a person you can see, how do you love the invisible God you can't see? That's the question. And so you and I, we're to love even our enemies. You have to love your wife as an enemy sometimes, Jeremy. <laughs> of course, she's probably easy to love, right? So, yeah. yeah. <laughs> but, you know, we're to love everybody, even our enemies And so, you know, it's kind of like this. I think about it like this. I was meditating on this, and I thought to myself, isn't there this old saying, you can't get over it, can't get around it, can't go under it, got to go through it. The Bible tells us we have to love even our enemies. This growing love, it's present. It's the outcome of the gospel. It's defined by the gospel. It's sacrificial, and it's no boundaries. Comprehensive. And one more thought, it's to abound still more and more. You know, some people say, one translation puts it like this, that your love may abound more and more. Well, that's just not good enough for Paul. He puts still in there for a reason. Abound some, no. Abound more and more, no. Still abound more and more. Always more and more. You and I are to love every person without boundaries. And so how should you and I follow the apostles' petition for growing love? We need to get down on our knees and ask God to give us this kind of love. This love that abounds still more and more. And maybe apart from the stickiness, the kind that gets all over everybody. Like a Coke can shaken up and popped the top. And it's going to cost us two things. It's going to cost us money, but you know... It's going to cost us T-I-M-E. That's the pain. That's the, that's the part. That's the sacrifice. That's the sacrifice is our time, giving up our time. Now, I'm going to give you a little spoiler alert. If you haven't watched the movie Fireproof, I'm going to tell you a little bit about a movie called Fireproof. It's starring Kurt Cameron, and in this movie, he's a well-respected fireman. His marriage is in the toilet. He's selfish. He's saving every cent of his money to buy a boat. And he watches pornography on a regular basis. His marriage is going bad. And so when things get at their worst, his dad, who's become a Christian, comes to him and says, I want to dare you to do something. I want to give you a book. And it's got 40 different thoughts in it about how to love your wife. And so he says, okay. And so for 40 days, he's to write letters and notes and give her flowers and prepare food and clean the house and do all these sorts of things for his wife. And he's sort of half-hearted all the way there, very beginning. He's just real half-hearted about all of this. And he keeps expecting her to just stop and go, wow, you brought me some flowers. And, of course, in the movie, the flowers are crummy-looking (laughs) flowers. He's not doing a very good job. He just thinks if he does one thing or two, she'll like be swooning over him or something. And she just pays him no attention at all. And and in the movie, he gets so angry. Some of you guys know what I'm talking about. He gets so angry he gets a baseball bat, and he's outside beating a trash can with a baseball bat. And his neighbor's going. And so this is what's going on. But then all of a sudden in the movie, he becomes a Christian. And he begins to show love to his wife, and still she gives him no returns, no returns. In fact, she begins to set her affection on a doctor in the hospital, and she's talking to this guy, and she's talking to him. And, you know, during the movie, she's taking her ring off, and he's taking his ring off, and they're acting like that they're not even married. And then the big thing happens. He goes down to the medical equipment store, and he takes all $24,000 that he saved up for his boat, And he buys her mother medical equipment that she needs. And she thinks that the doctor did it. And so he is walking around, no returns still for all this love, no returns, no returns, but he's not deterred at all. And then she finds out from the medical equipment store that her husband bought the medical equipment for her mother. And then she finds the book. Of all these passages of scriptures that her dad, that his dad gave to him, and then she asked him this question, What day are you on? And he was way past 40. With me? He got it. Why did I say all that? Well, let me tell you this I'm telling you what he started to do is what he should have been doing from the very get go. What he started to do later is what he should have been doing all along. So when you get married, Evan, when you get married or when you're married, start doing the things you did in the first place. Love that person. Look at that person in the eyes. Read the Bible with that person. Don't ever stop doing the things you did in the first place. This is the love that we are all called to. We're not, listen to this, you and I are not called to acquiesce to poor relationships. Did you get that? We're not allowed to acquiesce to poor relationships. We're not to assume that divisions and arguments are just part and parcel of the life of this church. No. No. You and I are, as much as is possible, Romans 12, 18, to work, to be at peace with every single person. Every single person. Now there may be people, there are people in my life. It grieves me. I sit around sometimes thinking about this. I've talked to uh, Elder Larson about this. There's people. There's just no way I'll ever be able to be at peace with them. But it's not because of me. There's some people we can't be at peace with. But it ought to be our desire to be at peace with every person. This is growing love. It's present. It's the outcome of the gospel. It's sacrificial. It's comprehensive. It has no boundaries. And it's to uh, increase more and more. What's the environment of this love? Well, he tells us in verse 9 what it is. He says, the environment is real knowledge and all discernment. And it's really interesting. It's in. It's in. There's soil. You have to put. This love has to grow in a soil. This love has to be in Uh, An environment. Fish live in the water. You and I live in this environment, this atmosphere. And there's got how much is oxygen and how much is nitrogen? Remember all your science? And how much is, you know, all the different pieces and parts? Well, the, the sphere that our love grows in is knowledge. You and I, in order for our love to grow, we have to grow in our knowledge of God. We have to grow in our knowledge of Jesus Christ. We have to grow in our knowledge of the Holy Spirit. If I said to you that uh, I was married to my wife and you said, what color is her hair? And I didn't know the color of her hair. Wouldn't you think that there was something wrong? If, I, if you said, well, if you're married to Lori, you know her name, but you don't know the color of her hair. Do you, do you know her favorite popsicle? Do you know her favorite cake? Do you know anything about her at all? And I said, no, I don't know anything. Well, then you don't know her. You and I are not called to be scholars when it comes to God, but we're called to be students of God, students of our relationship with Him. We're called to know about Him. Every one of the men in here, and probably the women too, you know what CEUs are? You know what CEUs are? Continuing Education Units. And so every one of us... Okay, see, Zang back there. He knows what they are. He probably has to do some Continuing Education Units to be a, a you know, karate guy, right? So you've got to learn. You've got to learn, you got to learn, you've got to keep learning. It's not about being a scholar, but it's about staying up. You go and you stay up, you go to this class, you go to that class and you learn, you learn, you stay up. How do you stay up? How do you stay close to this God? How do you become not a scholar? Don't wanna just, I don't want you on my, I don't want you to just know how to answer trivial pursuit questions about God in the Bible. but do you know God? How are you going to stay up? Well, you're going to read the Bible? And we can always start there. Read the Bible, folks. Listen to the Bible on tape. Listen to to it on your phone while you're shaving. Listen to it while you're driving. Read the Bible. Read the Bible. Study the Bible. Come to sermons. Listen to sermons. Worship with the people. There's something going on. There's something we're learning. Not just when the sermon's being preached. But when you read those prayers and when you enter into the forgiveness that's given to us as we hear the assurance of pardon, all these pieces and all these parts, this is how we improve our love. This is how we improve our knowledge. Not only is it in knowledge, but it's also, he says, in all discernment. Discernment here means depth of insight or tact. I like the word tact there. The Greek word that's used in the Septuagint translation here for for discernment is it means tact, discernment. What's, what is tact? You all you know, we hear that, that guy doesn't have any tact. <laughs> Let's talk about that for a second. It means that you have knowledge about something. Here it is, your knowledge. But tact is, do I say this right now or not? <laughs> do I share this knowledge right now or not? That's tact. That's discernment. Now, here's the next question. What is the purpose of this knowledge and this discernment? What is the purpose of this growing love? And here it is, verse 10 he says so that you may approve the things that are excellent. So that you might discern what is best. Well, that's that's the tact we're talking about. So here we are, the word in the Greek is dokimazo, and it means testing metals, testing money, or testing oxen to see if those oxen are fit to be sacrificed to God. Is this real gold or is this fool's gold? Is this real silver? Is this counterfeit? Is this a real $2 bill? Have you ever heard about the guys, you know, the guys that do the money? You know what they how they teach people? They pass them real real bills. Week after week after week, these, they're training them. They pass them $2 bills. You know, there are $2 bills. They pass them, they pass them, they pass them. And then one day after they've seen millions of $2 bills, they pass them a, full, a fake one. And they can look at it and go, that's not real. Are you able to determine between good and best. That's what we're talking about. That's what we're talking about. Can we approve of something? How do we do this? Well, Paul, the Apostle Paul, he tells us that he is able to discern what is the best, what's superior versus what is inferior. In Philippians eight, he says that the knowledge, uh, this environment of knowledge and discernment, They have produced in him this ability to choose the best. Listen to what he says. What is more, I consider everything a loss compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord for whose sake I have lost all things. I considered those things rubbish that I may gain Christ. Do you hear the difference? Surpassing value versus, he says, dung. Now, you know, uh, that doesn't smell good. Surpassing value versus on or rubbish. He used to be so proud, and we can go through and read, so proud of his being circumcised on the eighth day of Israel. Proud, so proud of his being a Pharisee and proud of his nation and proud of all these things. Well, those are some good things. There's nothing wrong with some of those things. But that's what was of surpassing value. Now he finds Christ is the surpassing value. Brothers, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do, I press on toward Christ. In Philippians 2.5, you know what he says? He says, here's the number one mindset to have. Here's the superior mindset to have. Have Jesus' mind in you. Have Jesus' attitude in you. Philippians four eight. Mamas, y'all read this to your kids. You read this to your kids. Whatever is true, young person. Whatever is noble, young person. Whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable. If anything is excellent, think on those things. So to approve these things, this is not the difference between something harmful or not harmful. It's the choosing of the best when there's several good choices. It's the ability for a man who's on Tuesday. I'm talking about me. It's the ability of a preacher to study during the week and want... I used to get all, most of my sermons done on Tuesday for Sunday morning. I was done on Tuesday. Sometimes not. And the temptation was always, just keep going. And I would say, but my, mom, my wife needs a dad. I mean a husband. And my kids need a dad. And I need to trust that God will help me get ready by Sunday because the sermon doesn't have to be preached till Sunday morning. And then of course, I'd get ready for Wednesday, on Wednesday for the Sunday night sermon. It's the ability to make these right choices. It's the ability to choose to go to the worship of God with God's people and not sit at home and say, I've done enough. I've watched it on. I, got my, I happen to have my phone up here. Well, all I have to do is go. I can look at some of the best sermons in the world. Right there. But it says a symbol. Which one's best? You and I, we come and we worship. We put Christ first at the ball game. We put Christ first in our workplace. We put Christ first when we take a test, young people. We put Christ first. We are weaned away from things that are maybe not so good (laughs) and weaned to the things that are the better. So many more we could talk about. First, the petition of growing love and now we look at the petition for complete Christian character now where did we get the word this, this phrase complete Christian character let me show this to you and we can get this point through this point verse 10 in order to be sincere and blameless until the day of Jesus Christ what's the definition of complete Christian character it's sincerity and it's blamelessness that's what it is that's complete Christian character in two words sincerity and And blamelessness. Sincerity is what's going on on the inside of you, and blamelessness is how people see you. With me? What's going on on the inside of you, and does it match what you present to everybody on the outside of you? The word sincere, it comes from two Greek words. One is helios, the other is krino, and it means the one, the helios. What's that mean? Y'all remember what that means? Sun. Creno means judge. And when you put them together, this is what you come out with. To hold up to the sun for judgment. It means to hold up to the sun for judgment. Now watch this. Back in Jesus' day, and even today we know people are very much into the business of pottery. And cheap pottery back in those days would be dense and thick and heavy. But fine pottery was very thin and very fragile. And a beautiful, wonderful piece of pottery would be held up in the sun, and if it had no cracks, you could see all the way through every part of it, like a glass that you have at home, a glass. But if somebody didn't want to go through the machinations that you have to go through after you make a mistake and got a little crack, what they would do is take pearly white wax, they would cover the crack, they would smooth it all down, they would paint it all up, put it in the store with all the other pottery. And it looks perfect in the store, and so in order to make sure that this was not this this maker this uh, craftsman didn't cheat, they take the pottery outside, they hold it up in the sun, and if there's any of that pearly white wax in there, you can't see through it. You would see the blemish. You would see it's not part like sincere. It's not the real thing. It didn't uh, hold up under the sun of the judgment that takes place in the sun. And when you and I, when it comes to us, what kind of, what do we do? What do we look like in the store? When we're in the store, do we look okay? And then if somebody takes us out in the sun and holds us up, do we do they see, that? hey, look, this guy's got problems. See, the inside, the, the, who we are on the inside of the store and who we are on the outside of the store, they're supposed to be the same. Supposed to be the same, and so merchants back in those days used to mark the ones that were honest. They used to mark on their their uh, pots words. These two words, sin, Sarah. Smash them together, and you get the word sincere. I'm sure Evan could probably tell me that I didn't pronounce those Latin terms properly, but sin, Sarah, sincere, free from wax, free from wax, free from hypocrisy. Be what you claim to be outside the store, what you claim to be on the inside of the store. Now, here's something we need to realize. We need to realize that we're cracked, (laughs) right? You know, I, I was telling Ben and some of the boys the other day yesterday, I said, now, we don't need to be crackpots. Some of us are crackpots. But we are all cracked pots. And we all acknowledge we're cracked pots. We all acknowledge we're not perfect. We all acknowledge that that Jesus is working in our lives and he's teaching us to be pure in heart. That's the truth. But let's not be hypocrites. Let's not present to everybody something that's not true in reality. Second, what are the means to attain this complete character, this sincerity and blamelessness? Don't we need a source? Verse 11 tells us, he says this, I have been filled with the fruit of righteousness which comes through Jesus Christ. How do you produce this sincerity? And how do you produce this blamelessness? How, do you, how are you going to be a person who's not a hypocrite? And he tells us, through our connection Christ. In John 15, 1, we all love to read this. I am the vine, Jesus said. My Father is the vine dresser. Verse 4, abide in me, and I will abide in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must abide in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you abide in me. I am the vine. You are the branches. If a man abides in me and I in him, he will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. All self effort. You can't do it, but you can do it if you're connected to the vine. Through faith in Jesus Christ, you have the source. Apart from Jesus Christ, you don't have the source. Can't do anything that pleases him. You know, there's a story about Lawrence of Arabia. Was He was in Paris after World War I, and he had many Arabian friends. And they all visited him while he was in Paris. And so he's in Paris, and he's taking all his friends around to the Louvre. You know that fun to say, the Louvre? And he takes all his friends to the Eiffel Tower and, and all of that. And you know what his friends were fascinated with? The faucet. They're fascinated with the faucet. <coughs> They could turn it on, and water would come out. They could turn it off, and the water would stop. They could turn one on, and it was cold. They could turn one on, and it was hot. They were fascinated with the faucet. They didn't care about the lube. They didn't care about the off tower. So when it came time for them to leave, they pulled out their wrenches, and they pulled out their tools, and they were going to take the faucet off and take it with them. And these are their words. They said, you see, it's very dry in Arabia, and what we need are faucets. If we have faucets, we will have all the water that we want. Is there a problem, guys? Y'all laugh. It's so Lawrence of Arabia said, well, let me tell you something. If you take the faucet in and of itself, it won't do you any good because the faucet's hooked up to a whole series of pipes and those pipes bring water to the faucet and those pipes have water coming to them through a place that takes them and prepares the water so it's clean and can drink it and all that. And where does it come from? It comes from lakes, it comes from snow, it comes from all that sort of stuff. You can't just have the faucet. <laughs> You've got to have the source that brings the water to the faucet. And the same thing's true about you and me. We've got to, we have to be connected to the source. We have to be connected to Jesus. And his energy flows into us like sap in a tree. Well, let's take it just a little further. I got a good story for you. I'm going to keep your attention with this one. Listen to this. When I was working in Houston, California, one of the first things that happened when I was there is um, I went in, you know, every Sunday, you know, I'm at church. I go to the church on Monday morning. And I go to the restroom and I see that somebody didn't flush it. So I flushed it. And then I wished I hadn't flushed it. Because this stuff was going everywhere. And so I spent an hour cleaning it up. And then I called the plumber. I used to I tease with my kids. I say the word plumber. I called the plumber. And so the plumber comes. <laughs> and he snakes it out. And he finds a toy. Toys interfere with the flow. What interferes with the flow, folks, when you're living for Christ? What interferes toying with sin? You with me? I know it's kind of funny, but when we toy with sin, we interfere with the flow. Right? No more toying with sin. Toy with sin chokes out the, the power, chokes out the source. So if you want to stay one of those persons where the fruit is flowing and all these things are happening, you just keep abiding in Christ. No more toying with sin. The psalmist tells us in Psalm 1, Blessed is the man... His delight, whose delight is in the law of the Lord. And in his law, he meditates day and night. This is a person who's been taken from one place, transplanted to another place, so that his roots go down and out to the river or out to the stream and pull in all the necessary nourishment to produce fruit. The wicked, not so. The blessed man is. That's the way it works. And he produces all kinds of good fruit. Well, What's the purpose Look at verse 11. What's the purpose of all of this? The glory of God. The glory and praise of God. Why why is the apostle praising God? Why does he pray for this petition for growing love? And why does it end with this petition for complete Christian character? The glory of God. That's what it is. Now, what's the first... Important question in the Shorter Catechism. What's the chief end of man? And everybody said the chief end of man is to glorify God and to what? Enjoy Him forever? Paul says the same thing. You know, when you read these catechism questions, don't be alarmed. Most of those words come right out of that, right out of Scripture. Why are we here? Young people, why are you here? Tomorrow, if somebody says to you in class, why are you here? You need to say, I'm here to glorify God. In everything. And that's what the Apostle Paul is telling us to do. To glorify God in everything. As we love, as we seek to be sincere and blameless, we're here to glorify God. Well, let's pray. Father, we thank you for loving us. We thank you for caring for us. We thank you for these words that we can read and study. Thank you for these words that we can uh, meditate on and take with us as we move through this week. Lord, we pray that we might be those who grow in our love for you, for each other, for all those around us. We pray, Father, that we might remember the Coke can illustration that we need to be like spewing everywhere the love of, of that we have for each other, even our enemies. Help us to be at peace as best we can with all those around us. We pray, Father, that we might be sincere. We might be blameless. We might be not not hypocrites, but people who are crackpots who know it and who know we need the source of Jesus Christ to work in our lives so that we might bear fruit for you. Take us from this place, Lord, but before we do, we pray that you'll bless our meeting here in a minute and we thank you for this worship time. We ask that you'd help us sing this last hymn together. We pray in Jesus' name, amen.